This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. You are on the Escape Hour. This is Fiona and I'm here with Stefan. Welcome to the program, Stefan. Thank lovely you. Lovely to see Thanks, you. Fiona. It's lovely to be here. We've both been travelling, as yes. is uh, you would expect from people that run a, t- uh, a radio program about travel, about travel and food. Yeah. We would be remiss if we were not travelling on a regular basis. It's our, it's our um, a raison d'etre, as they say. Mm, Did I say absolutely. that right, Stefan? Yes, raison d'etre. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Our reason to exist. Um, Stefan, tell me, where were you recently? Um, I went away for two and a half weeks, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur and Philippines, different places in the Philippines. And this was work-related? Was work-related, yes. But you yes. did get some time out? I did get some time off a little bit, one weekend out of three, mm. <laughs> which was lovely. Um, <laughs> they certainly keep you busy in that yeah, job, no, don't it's, they? Uh, it's, uh, a lot of things happen at the weekend, so um, yeah. Well, welcome back. And Thank you. And you've been... Um... I have also been away. I was in Tunisia. Oh. Yes, that was a bit of a... Uh, that was a real jaunt. I was yes. there for two weeks. And um, it's a long way to go. I was. I stayed in Southeast Asia. You went all the way to near Europe. Long, well, not way. Europe, clearly. But <laughs> It's almost there. Almost there. It's yeah. almost there. In fact, I asked a, a, a young Tunisian if he felt like he was uh, African or uh, European, and he said definitely European. Mm. But more about our travels later. Yes. We have a guest in the studio today. Welcome to Michelle Matthews. How are you, Michelle? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Well, Michelle's been on the program listeners before, if you um, may recall, talking Spain, because I know that you're a real Spanophile. I don't know if that's such a name. I think it's good enough. People know what you mean. Yes. Well, I think that everyone should uh, spend more time thinking about Spain. But today, that's not what we're talking about. You have just returned yourself from a trip to Java, Yogyakarta, Suricata, uh, Borobudur, Mm -hmm. and one more temple. Uh, Prambanan. Prambanan. Easy to trip uh, your words over that one with the syllables, but Prambanan. So I know that you're a regular Bali goer and uh, listeners, I have just recently also come back from the Ubud Food Festival in Bali where I was travelling and uh, Michelle was at the same festival. In fact, she brought me to the festival for the first time the year before. So we have her to thank for all of these wonderful... um, Indonesian food experiences, but you travelled on after the Ubud Food Festival, Michelle, to uh, Yogyakarta, otherwise mm. known as Yogya. Is that correct? Jogja, Jogja? yes. Uh, the Indonesians seem to like uh, shortening a lot of the, the cities. So Surakarta is almost universally known as Solo. Not that it seems like an obvious contraction no. of the name, but it's always referred to as Solo until you look on a map and it's still Suricata. So it's a bit tricky, that one. Well, they do have long uh, names for their cities and towns. They do, and a lot of them sort of overlap. So Suricata, Jakarta, Jogjakarta, etc. Mm. So they sort of just get to the meat of it by uh, talking about Jogja, for example, or Solo. I mean, I have certainly, I mean, I have not had the pleasure of being to Java or Jakarta. I mean, I think I had a stopover in Jakarta once, but I don't think I got out of the airport. However, Jogja, Jogja 
has always been uh, in my mind as a place, a home of the arts and culture in Indonesia and a must visit. Well, it's quite a beloved city by Indonesians because it is quite a historic city. It's the only part of, uh, or the main part of Indonesia, I suppose, that has a monarchy that exists. So it's a special region. It's not like other parts of Indonesia. So it has still an active monarchy and you can visit the palace. Mm. So it's different in that sense. So the area that we're specifically referring to is central Java. So Java is a very, very big island. It's not the biggest in Indonesia, but it certainly is by population. So it's got more than half the population of the whole country. So from that perspective, it's it's quite substantial. So people refer to east, central, west, and uh, and Jakarta's in northwest. So I thought this time, after spending so many years visiting Bali frequently, that it would be you know one small step for man, one giant step for Australia kind, <laughs> by going to Java and actually seeing a little bit more. And it's it's compellingly different. So as much as we adore Bali, pretty much all our whims are catered for. Mm. That's not the case with with Java. It's, it's good it's to different. be yeah. It's good to have your uh, as as a regular traveller to have your uh, travel muscles stretched a little bit. Absolutely. So, what, what do you what do you mean by all your needs are not catered for? The, I, I'm not quite sure what you mean by. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I flew back to Bali, then on my way home to Australia, mm. I, I think I had a 10am pedicure with a oh. bintang, for example. Oh. Okay. Now, that's not something you're going to find without a great lot of effort and it might not be an option there. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it is a Muslim country mm. yeah. and it's back to business, you know. Bali is the alternative, being a Hindu island, but the rest of it is is a Muslim country. Not that it's it's as overt as you might imagine in Middle Eastern countries, perhaps, but it certainly is a factor. And so, drinking just isn't part of the culture. Mm. When was it the Ramadan when you went there? I came back, I think, about three days before, but they were gearing up for it. Yes, we'll discuss Ramadan oh, more yes, extensively because I was in Tunisia yeah, during, during Ramadan. Ramadan. Yes. That was interesting experience. Uh, however, mm. you you skipped it this time, so I'm assuming also the other component is, of course, you are not. Uh, I mean, Yogyakarta, of course, is well set up for tourists, though, because it is a very popular tourist destination. It is. Um, you do see tourists, but a lot of them look st- still more local, more Indonesian tourists than anything else, I would say. So Borobudur is the big temple. It is the, I suppose, the, the visual icon that people see when they see temples in Indonesia. And it's quite a distinctive shaped uh, Buddhist temple that they claim is the biggest in the world. It's really quite a spectacular temple to see. And so it draws people by the thousands from right across uh, Indonesia and of course you know beyond. And how does Borobudur compare to Angkor Wat for example in Cambodia? It's not as big but it's it's quite I suppose a different construction and and shape. Uh, Now I have been to Angkor Wat and I believe was it a bit of a hybrid sort of at times Hindu and Buddhist? You know, I'm going to have to look that up. I think we both might need to look that up. So this one is uh, sort of a purely Buddhist one and and it's really, it's just very beautiful, very peaceful. It's not um, 
completely intact. Like so many of these temples, you know, they have been plundered to mm-hmm. some extent. Mm-hmm. And you can see a lot of the, the Buddhas have had their heads removed, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that were more accessible. But it's still, like, it's quite a spectacular temple. Mm-hmm. Now, Jogjakarta and, and Central Java is a pretty hot part of the world. So it's a very popular thing to see at, at dawn, which means getting up very early to be there. Nevertheless, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to see the place without you know, hordes of crowds. Mm. So when I was there, I'm not sure if it was because it was the lead up to Ramadan, but there were certainly uh, probably countless buses of teenagers, school, yeah, school teenagers, all in their colourful matching T-shirts visiting the temple. So, oh, that would have been. I mean, it could have been fun to have all those teenagers <laughs> running around, or it could have been annoying. I guess it depends. It was a bit of both. My my travelling companion was was blonde and Amazonian, and she couldn't really move two paces without wanting uh, somebody oh, wanting a photograph with her. Of course, yes, exhibition A. Mm. It's quite fun. <laughs> I think that's really fun. I'm like, yeah, I'll jump in a photo. Day Jesus one, it's smile. fun. Day two, it <laughs> slows so you down. Did you stay? Uh, I know that you can stay at a hotel near Borobudur, or did you bus trip in from Jogja? I did stay at a hotel nearby, so it was really just a few kilometres away. It was uh, it was called the Plataran, which is a an Indonesian chain of of hotels. It was it was actually just a spectacular hotel. I loved it. It's a luxury hotel, but some of them sort of just get under your skin a little bit more than others. And mm. and this was very much one of those. It was uh, Indonesian, certainly in the cuisine that you could try very comfortably a lot of different sorts of dishes that were local and specifically local, not just nasi goreng, mi goreng, etc. Mm. And, you know, it, Java is a beautiful part of the world as well. I think there's more than 100 volcanoes just in Java. Well, there is one of the most active volcanoes is near Borobudur called Mount Merapi, Mm. I believe. Uh, Did you explore that as well? I didn't have the time to explore that. I certainly would like to. Well, I think that we should probably save that conversation for just after this uh, break. You're on the Escape Hour and uh, we are talking to Michelle Matthews today about Java. Joy 94.9 is on air 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But sometimes you can't always be with us when you want to. Here's the solution. Here's the solution. Listen to your favourite Joy 94.9 show anytime with our Joy podcast service. Our team of over 30 volunteers pick out the best bits from around 60 programs that Joy airs each week, made available to you for free download. To find a podcast of your favourite Joy show, search for us in the Featured Providers section within the iTunes store or find them on the Joy website, joy.org.au. Joy Podcasts, any show, any any show, anytime, joy.org.au. So it was all five stars and um, during that trip? No, no? it it wasn't. That's not really how I enjoy travelling for the most part. <laughs> uh, what I found really interesting about Java was just how many old buildings there are. In fact, they've got quite an impressive Art Deco history there. Mm. So you'll find a lot of Art Deco buildings around. Uh, it's had so many influences, so many invasions, I suppose, throughout the years that there is influences from so many different countries mm. and eras and fashions and tastes that probably relatively few buildings are of a pure design. But in Solo, in Suricata, I stayed at uh, a place called Romaco which was a 1938 construction Mm -hmm. estate, a house quite close to the centre of town, but actually in the the old area where they made the batik, 
the batik fabric, which is fascinating in its own right. Did you visit some batik factories? Kind of by accident, yes. Ah. So the first evening I went in there, I visited a particular museum, Dana Hadi. That's the name of a particular uh, brand of of batik, and it is also a museum. And the museum was just fascinating. So if you're at all interested in the history of Indonesia, the artistry of this fabric and the symbolism of it, it's so worth going. It's just really quite extraordinary because there's the Dutch influence, the Japanese influence, the influence from the different areas, from coastal as well as the Jogjakarta area. There's so much wrapped up in the symbolism within the shirts and the fabric. So behind the hotel, they opened up a back door that I was sort of studying for Instagram <laughs> and it just opened up to this little laneway. And walking along there to go into town, I couldn't help but see inside a more of a shed than a factory. And it turned out it was an active Batik factory with about six men inside it, sweltering hot, because of course there's a lot of heat involved in making it, melting the wax. the wax. Yes. So do they have a special pattern in that place of uh, Indonesia? Or is it just a well, traditional... There are many, many special patterns. Oh. So at this particular museum, nobody was allowed to take any photographs and everyone was escorted through and, and guided. So you're not allowed to take photos because there's a lot of proprietary oh. designs. There is a lot of symbolism and certain designs represent the royal family or you can see that, you know, if they're very colourful, they might be more from a coastal area. Uh, then there's certain colours that are more symbolic of, uh, I suppose, traditional aspects. There's so much to it that you can read. And, of course, a lot of Batik isn't actually Batik. It's just conventional yeah. printing because there's a lot of work involved. There's about seven processes. That's so, so labour-intensive. Very labour-intensive. Well, as a fabric a, a fabric obsessive and craft obsessive, I would have just loved that. I mean, well, you know, I just... The, the techniques yeah. and the, of course, the end results, which, of course, then you can buy... Bye, bye. Mm. <laughs> so, did you purchase anything? I didn't purchase anything. <laughs> That's what I was getting to. <laughs> I didn't purchase anything that would be considered of, of Batik, proper Batik quality, but I did buy a couple of items, more, more so for modesty. Uh, I think as for a lot of us who don't live in tropical climates, mm. to then be travelling around a tropical climate, you want to be as comfortable as possible. But also be mindful that this is a Muslim country. And so a lot of the women wear the hajib um, and they seem to not notice just how hot it is. So they will wear jeans and full length, mm. you know, things mm. on their tops as well. So you don't really want to go that far, but you do want to be reasonably covered and, and respectful. So some of the, like a little batik skirt actually served me quite well. Well, that's right. Yeah. After coming from Bali where, you know, there are sort of no such restrictions or not that anyone would care to, mm. uh, you know, pay attention to, it is very important to dress appropriately when you go into countries where, you know, lots of leg or bare arms and, of course, particularly um, when you're going into temples as well. I mean, now with Borobudur, we've established it's not uh, really, we're sorry, we're segueing back and forth now, <laughs> but on, onto, that, onto that topic, it's not a working uh, temple. So as such, was there a need for cover like there are when you visit some of the other temples, for example, in Bali? Look, not really. And and I found the Javanese were very relaxed about everything. Nobody questioned or commented. You didn't feel like you were looked at if you were wearing anything, you know, shorts, for example, or anything mildly inappropriate. But it was more just 
you, you didn't want to stand out for the wrong reasons. So in Borobudur and Brahmanam, both of the temples, you really wanted to be a little bit protected from the sun as much as anything else Indeed. because it's, it's quite scorching, which is why you want to sort of be done by 11am at the mm. latest. Mm. But it's not, it's not obligatory. Uh, for listeners who may have just tuned in, we're talking to Michelle Matthews, who is uh, 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 runs her own guidebooks, The Lucky Guides, and we are talking all about her recent trip to Java. Um, now, one of the things that we sort of skipped over, you mentioned some lovely guest houses. Yes. So, Romaco in Solo, Suricata, was a beautiful 1938 Art Deco property. Mm. And just the beautiful details. It's still very much Indonesian in that you'll have more sort of a compound style setup mm-hmm. of central buildings, large balconies, sort of the indoor-outdoor uh, living, and then the cl- enclosed rooms. There was so many details and so many places that I noticed across Java that included stained glass windows. That was a oh. huge feature throughout. So the stained glass windows, the the motifs were they kind of like Islamic designs, so that they were very much strongly patterned. They they were detailed, but no, I would say they were more Art Nouveau and Art Deco. Oh, but, wow. but also they varied from different places. It is a beautiful time, a, a beautiful art movement and architectural movement for sure. And then quite embellished by, I suppose, being a little bit far from perhaps the the source or the, the, the originating source of the inspiration for Art Deco. So mm. the second place I stayed at at Jogjakarta was a converted old palace. Well, not a palace, but a um, I suppose a... A, a mansion, Ndalem Natan. So it's well owned, done. Uh, Very good <laughs> it's a bit tricky. I've been working on it. <laughs> so uh, a Jakarta couple, a bit of an Indonesian power couple, have bought this from, and owned it for the last six years or so. There was a massive earthquake in Java, oh, sorry, Jogjakarta in particular, which did a lot of damage. So they've been bringing it back to life. So it's about a 10-room property now. And it's just divine, absolutely divine. Lots of lush plants out the front. It's a bit of an art gallery as well with lots of historical details. But uh, the lady of the house, Ita, she was explaining that, you know, this particular pylon represents elements of of, um, Islamic culture and Sufi culture as well as Art Deco and as well as, you know, the the whims of the, the original owner. So it all comes together and it's really quite lovely. So, so Blend, so it wasn't beautiful. quite five stars, but it was still luxurious from the, by the sound of it. Well, look, it was. I mean, inside each of these rooms at this particular place mm. in Jogjakarta, they had traditional Javanese-style wedding beds, which are four posters but completely covered and sort of unconventional shapes. Oh. And so lots of really, really interesting details everywhere you go. The furniture was stunning. And very typical to the to the area, which is really good too when you travel mm. to these places because if you go to a lot of five stars, it's standards and you, you could be anywhere. There's nothing worse mm. than an impersonal, you know, mm. hotel and that room when you're like staying in a, you know, unique but culturally mm. beautiful place. It is difficult to find these places, though, for... If you're a tourist, you've never been there. So how do you find these guest houses? How do you, do you know, have you got any tips for to find these gems well, to stay in? <laughs> the, the main idea, I suppose, is if you if you search Art Deco or there's the term Ndalem, so just small n, capital D, L-E-M, which I think means mansion. Mm. So that's just one word. And so if you search those, there are a few that are converted. Search Art Deco, as I said. When you look online for accommodation, certain buildings will jump out as being Mm. not conventional. And I think 
like a lot of cultures that are, are relatively old, the locals are quite keen to visit places that are new, whereas for us, with a new culture, we appreciate the older mm. ones. Mm, mm, mm. Well, that is that is so true. I think it's just being a little bit uh, forensic in your search mm-hmm. and most of these uh, accommodations are online these days. So, you know, some I must admit, some people just have a knack for choosing great accommodation and other people just not quite the same mm. knack. And unfortunately, <laughs> I just think that's something you're either born Yes. Well, <laughs> yes. I, yeah, so. I don't know what to say about that. You're listening to a Joycast from GLB, TIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Oh, this is the, the escape, the escape hour. hour with uh, with I guess Michelle Matthews, and we're talking all about Indonesia and sp- more specifically Java or uh, Yogyakarta and other places in Java. Now we mentioned briefly food, but um, was there anything that that you only find in this place? Uh, it, well, oh God, where am I going <laughs> now? Java, any food specific to this area? And if it's specific to Jogjakarta or... There are a number of things. One, one thing I found was a reference to charcoal coffee, which just really intrigued me. You know, Melbournians can't mm. stop talking about thinking I about know. making coffee. coffee so I was coffee. quite intrigued because I hadn't heard of this one. And so it's an evening thing. It's not an AM thing at all. So I had a couple of attempts to actually go to this place. And it's just part of a you know a street food row of stalls. And this it just appears from 5pm onwards. So it's a traditional cup of coffee like they make in Indonesia. So they'll sort of mix the coffee with the hot water generous amounts of sugar. Normally I try and sort of, you know, tidak gula, but this time I went with a bit of extra sugar because I knew there was going to be this charcoal and I thought the caramelization could be interesting. So sure enough, they've stirred the charcoal, made the coffee, sorry, stirred the, the coffee to make it beautiful hot. And then they reach into the stove that's got the basically just a fire there and pull out sort of a smallish a third of a banana-sized piece of bright red charcoal and just put it straight in this glass of coffee. And, of course, it steams and bubbles up. And then they do it again with a second piece. And then it's presented to you on this saucer. And it's like, how am I going to drink (laughs) that? (laughs) Now, we're assuming this is charcoal from wood. Yes, yes, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, but uh, do you, what kind of, do they, is it a special charcoal or a special wood? I mean, is it, you know, like the Japanese Take. charcoal? My, my Bahasa, <laughs> my Bahasa Indonesia, the language wasn't really quite up to getting all the specifics. And so uh, can you drink it straight away? Or do you Not straight it? away, no. It's, it's, it's you, know, you kind of quite. look at it for a while, you stir it a bit, and after a while it's sort of, you know, the, the temperature sort of becomes quite equal with the coffee itself, and you sort of fish out this piece of charcoal and the other piece of charcoal and then you do sip on it. So the charcoal doesn't affect the taste all that much. It does sort of make it a little bit grainy, I suppose, a little bit of but but not in an unpleasant <laughs> way. It was the cough the coffee itself was great. I really enjoyed it. And it turns out it's it's very much a you know an old-fashioned activated charcoal beverage. Mm. It's what they have. If you know, if I suppose if you're feeling a little ill, uh, it can sort of settle the stomach and you know soak up toxins and yeah, um, <laughs> flush them out. So yes. that's wow. You know, yeah, that's, that's extraordinary. Cool. Exactly. But why the evening though? That's or the after five pm <laughs> because maybe it removed the caffeine and it's. <laughs> 
look, I suppose it's perhaps following a day of eating, oh, perhaps, yeah, and so maybe good, by good the, the morning, you know. Very good point. So do mm. you think yeah. that we might see, you know, charcoal coffee as a, as a coffee <laughs> trend in Melbourne? I do not. Um, sure? Because, you know, we'll, we'll latch on to anything. We, we will latch on t- onto anything, but for the full effect, it has to be profoundly unsafe. Of course, of course. Well, yeah. I, that wouldn't fly here. I didn't I did think when you described it that the thing was going to explode Me in too. your face. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the trick for the tourists. <laughs> very, very special glass. Um, they obviously trust the, the tourists and, and, and regular people just to, you know, Move and, it over to the table. And if you burn yourself, you won't be able to sue anybody. No, exactly. You can't <coughs> sue McDonald's when your coffee's too hot. I mean, you can sue McDonald's <laughs> when your coffee's too hot. Um, well, that sounds rather mm. fascinating. And then are some other food adventures along the way. Well, one of the things, uh, before I went over there, of course, I was chatting to Janet Denis from the Ubud Food Festival and Wayan, who is uh, Chef Wayan from the Potato Head Group. And they were both talking about this other amazing food experience that they'd had in Jogjakarta. In fact, Janet had described it as her most extraordinary food experience, which made my mind spin. Exactly, exactly. And so they talked about this spicy catfish dish and this old lady who cooks it. And it took a little while before I found all the information and it took again two times to get there. Traipsed out to the suburbs of Jogjakarta down a little, basically a walkway to find mm. this house where Mangut Lele Maba Mato, which basically is this spicy catfish by Grandmother Mato, as she's known. So this elderly lady prepares this catfish dish, which is her specialty and has been for about 30 years or more. And this house is just four rooms. Two of them are where you eat. One room that you go through first is... The cleaning room, where they just clean up the the dishes. It has a proper well inside it. And they prepare the drinks. Exactly. So you walk through there and then you walk to the kitchen. A very much blackened room. It was so dark with just shards of light sort of coming through, but they were it was so smoky they were like lasers. And there was sort of an array of pots where the grandmother was squatting and hunched over and sort of swiveling back and forth, tending to all these fires, basically just made on the floor. And then on the other side of the room was a sort of an elevated table where they had a few other dishes laid out, like the good egg, the the special jackfruit dish of the area, as well as some uh, some tofu dishes, opo ayam, the special chicken that they prepare there. And so it's just all happening. You grab your plate, put some rice on it. An elderly, another lady there will sort of put a couple of skewers of the catfish, you grab the rest and then take it out and eat. Well, that does sound extraordinary. And so with the catfish, now often blackened catfish, if you think about the Southern American version, it has a spicy um, uh, seasoning associated with it. So it's quite hot. I'm not sure whether they use exactly, there would be some element of chilli, but it's hot and it's spicy and it's blackened. Is that sort of part of the blackened catfish story? To to an extent. So, yeah, so it is very much sort of, I suppose, barbecued first. That's the one element of it. And on sort of like satay size mm, skewers. Mm. But then there's another element. And so when I was there, she was grinding up the candle nuts and the chilies, uh, sorry, the candle nuts and the garlic, etc. a few spices. 
juices and then it would go into a big broth. So there was a second process to the cooking and that's where all the chilies were as well. So it was very, very hot. You had to be a little bit careful if you're not mm. primed for that kind of mm. food heat. Mm. But it was a spectacularly tasty dish, much more so than the side dishes, which were pretty consistent and standard as I'd had around the rest of the area. But that catfish was just amazing. And the people who were attending there, who were dining there, they were in their uniform, there were the policemen, there were some quite well-dressed people that weren't just, you know, not just the neighbourhood diners. It's it's a real destination, I think, for, for the local people. And, um, and extraordinary that you were able to hunt it out. Yeah. Traditional, so not full of tourists or anything like this. It's really sounded... I would say there's probably the some Javanese some tourists. Javanese tourists, but not Westerners or... I didn't see any Westerners when I was there. In fact, I didn't see any Westerners when I was in Surakarta at oh. all either. That was pretty much tourist-free. It's not like Bali in that way. You see mm. relatively few. But, you know, with a, an island of 130, 140 million people, there's... You know, Java has a lot of its own tourism. Mm. Indeed, yes, it, of would. Course it would. Be. So, did you find that there was obviously much less English spoken? So, your uh, Bahasa would have got a little bit of a workout. It did. Like, it, it's a great place to to improve your Bahasa. But a lot of people, I would say, a great many had sufficient English to get by. If you were both sort of prepared to be patient and mm. articulate your mm. words and be very sort of particular and how you ask for things you could get by so it wasn't impossible oh that is that is mm. good to know and then uh well we were going to also quickly touch on what is good egg Yes. yes, so good egg is this key dish that is uh, quite popular in that particular part of central Java. And so it takes sort of a young jackfruit and I think they smash it quite a lot and then sort of cook it in, in coconut milk and with some palm sugar. So it ends up being sort of a vegetable dish, but it's a bit more on the sweet side, which is not sort of really what my palate's accustomed to. But aside from that, there's a lot of chicken dishes, of, mm. of course. There's mm. sort of like the main protein dish there. And of course, no pork mm. uh, in that part of the country. And, uh, you know, beef's pretty expensive. But they have, you know, the equivalent of Kentucky Fried Chicken, I suppose, Java, JFC, Java Fried Chicken, <laughs> and Smash Chicken, and so many variations. Well, uh, if you're not a chicken uh, appreciator, that could be a challenge. But there was yes. plenty of tofu dishes, lots yes. of vegetable dishes. And tempeh. Tempeh mm. being the yeah. fermented tofu dish that uh, is a creation of Indonesia. And I'm hoping, and it's starting to happen, you know, it's becoming a lot more widely available. So it's much more interesting, I, I think, than just regular tofu. It's got it a lot is. more texture to it. Being fermented, it's probably a little bit better for you. It's It's interesting. It's a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. This is the Escape Hour. Our guest is Michelle Matthews, editor of The Lucky Guides. Uh, the Lucky Guides, of course, have covered uh, food and beverage in Melbourne and also food and beverage in Bali. How's the Spain, the San Sebastian Spain guide coming along? Coming along well, hoping to release them both uh, for Bilbao and the surrounding area of Biscaya, as well as San Sebastian and Gipuzkoa, that region, uh, as ebooks in the next month. Well, we'll have to have you back again mm. down the track to talk about that. But back to uh, eating and drinking and travelling around uh, Java. If, if uh, what would be your top tips for someone who was travelling to Jogja and solo in Java? 
to do other than go to the major temples? Well, there is one, um, I suppose, a, a secular temple of sorts that's quite fascinating. It's colloquially known as the Chicken Church. The Chicken Church? The Chicken Church. So it's actually quite close to Bukit Rema. Uh, sorry, it's called Bukit Rema, but it's quite close to Borobudur. So the Chicken Church was created by a gentleman, I think, in the 1990s, and it was intended to be a purely secular place to, to pray, or I suppose multi-denominational. So any religion, anyone could go to this church and, and pray. It was a beautiful idea. It was in the jungle. It is shaped like a giant dove, and all the symbolism of mm. peace, etc. But most people refer to it as the chicken church because it does look an awful lot like a chicken. <laughs> so it's one of the few places that I went to that is becoming more of a tourist attraction, but it wasn't overrun by tourists. Mm. And it wasn't one of these places like Borobudur and Prambanan where you get charged as a foreigner the equivalent of about $35 compared to just a, a few coins if you're a local. Oh, well, that's a good uh, that, point. So that was appealing. Mm -hmm. And so once you're at the chicken church, you can go right up to the top. Mm -hmm. The chicken wears a, a sort of a crown. And from the top, you can actually look across the area. You can see some of the volcanoes and you can see Borobudur. It's a bit fuzzy, but you can tour through the different sections, which are sort of designed for maybe Islamic prayer or mm -hmm. Catholic prayer, etc. And then there's also some lovely sort of restaurants and cafes at the tail section of the chicken. Oh, so, I love it. They put the restaurants in the tail. Yes, yes, yes. So that was that was a fantastic place mm -hmm. to visit because it was just so unexpected, so different. Mm. Another fun thing to do in Jogjakarta is right downtown, there's like a, a hippodrome, sort of like this circular area, and they get these cars that look like conventional cars, like a, a you know Volkswagen, etc., but they're a bit more Flintstone style. So you have to pedal with your feet to make them go. And so you go around the circle and they're covered in neon lights that sort of flash and they're fun. And that so you just grab crazy. a group of friends and you just drive around this sort of relatively small circle, eat the street food from the stalls that are on the side and just have a bit of a hoot. That yeah. sounds really, really fun. Um, and what about, uh, you know, museums and, uh, you know, things like that? Is, is there a lot of those in Georgia because it's there, the centre of the arts? There are some. I didn't visit a lot. Um, there was the Kraton, which is the name for the, the, the palace. Mm -hmm. There is a, uh, an underground mosque, which is quite an interesting thing to, say, to see. There's, it's, it's quite an old city itself, though. So one of the fantastic things to do is just take a walk through, through the back streets. It is always the very best. It is. Get yourself a walking tour. It is. Well, I was very fortunate, as I mentioned before, one of the places I stayed was, um, you know, this old converted mansion. And the owner happened to just turn up that night, that same day that we were there. And so she very, very kindly just took us on a couple of walking tours, you know, two mornings in a row through the area, through the back streets. And this is a very uh, wealthy area with lots of sort of silver shops. So, you know, if you're interested in silver jewellery or mm. silver products, that would be the place to go. Mm. Uh, but just walking through the different streets, you get to appreciate the variation in architecture. And again, we saw more wells mm -hmm. that are still active today. Mm -hmm. And you see all the little details. And before you know it, you know, you stumble across some of the different um, mosques, because it's all very much built into mm -hmm. the community. They're not sort of standalone, like a lot of them you might see in different parts of, you know, Southeast Asia and Malaysia, for example, or, or the Middle East. Mm. 
but just these little areas are fantastic to watch and to just see life go by. And of course, always visit the markets. Mm. That's always the most fascinating thing. So markets for food or for just Well, for everything. everything. For everything. There was actually one of the markets in in Solo, which is an antique market. Mm -hmm. So visiting that was just fascinating because you see all these different eras of history represented by so many different elements, you know, physical Mm. products. Mm. So one lady was selling old currency and there was just beautiful currency that Mm. you just like to own because it was like a work of art. There was a lot of the stamps used to make Mm. the the batik so you could buy those and they're quite beautiful pieces of, you know, of pattern. Mm. And a lot of different elements from just different times. Things that didn't make any sense but you'd you'd ask and it was, you know, maybe an old coffee grinder Mm. from Dutch times, Mm. for example. There was just so much to so if you're an antique fan, the antique market in uh, in Solo, Suricata, is pretty fascinating, made up of dozens and dozens, possibly hundreds of individual different stalls, all specialising in specific things. That's it. So it's like a, a souk or a medina? Yeah, in a sense, it is. Well, you know, I mean, it's one of my favourite <laughs> things is to wander through the, the medinas uh, and and souks. And also you get to chat to mm. the, the, you know, the, the storeholders are always so interested in talking and introducing you to, you know, their their culture. And, and so it's a great opportunity for engagement. And also you can take a chance. I mean, I was uh, wandering around the souks of, of uh, Tunis and, and, some, and a gentleman approached me and asked me if I wanted to see an amazing view over the souk and I went oh okay mm. oh. and so he took me down a side street and then into a shop and then at the back of the shop and then we walked up the back stairs that we could see out over the Medina and the souk area which was really fantastic and you know I think he wanted me to buy something from the <laughs> shop which I, I managed yeah. to get my way out of that but oh. I was going to say I'm always quite wary we're wary of this thing because I'm thinking they're going to rob me blind or just well, it is, it is <laughs> kill good me to a little be wary. back alley. <laughs> <laughs> it is good to be wary, I guess, um, and have your wits about you at all times, yeah. for sure. Uh, so the markets are always a central place that I visit whenever mm. I... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Aside from the fact that, you know, obviously it's shopping, shopping, shopping. <laughs> <laughs> There's the retail component. And when I'm in a food market in, uh, overseas, I always want to... I mean, I can't do anything with the fruit and vegetables, mm. that really, that mm. I can see. And because you want to buy them, because there's mountains of them, because they don't have the nice, necessarily the nice, neat stalls or yes. markets that we have. There's like a pile of, you know, like six foot pile of carrots, for example. Uh, anyway, so it's always so tempting to buy, but you can't always use what you buy. No, and you can't bring it back. And no. you can't bring it back. Exactly. Um, any any purchases of note? While you were there, any sort of, you know, significant little purchases that will remind you of the destination? Uh, I didn't actually buy that much, no. Other than, as I mentioned before, a little bit of uh, of the batik. But no, I mean, a lot of the things I would have liked to buy would be consumables. Mm. So the things from the market. I, I'm not a smoker, but there was a lady selling tobacco, which I found quite fascinating because mm. she wasn't just selling one kind of tobacco. She had maybe even more than a dozen different kinds. And I don't know if it was different grades, different, you know, different strains or whatever, but that was quite fascinating Mm. that there was just so much variety. And that's what you don't get 
in markets here. Mm. You think a banana is a banana, but you go to somewhere like Indonesia and you realise there can be so many mm. kinds of bananas and they often taste a lot better than the ones we're accustomed to. Absolutely. And totally unfamiliar vegetables and mm. fruits and it's just mind-blowing to mm. appreciate just how diverse the world is and the older you get to still find there there is fruits and vegetables and so many things that are common one place and completely unfamiliar to you. Yeah, that's one of the main reasons why we travel is to see things that we don't see every day mm. or possibly have never seen before. And it's delightful. I, I travel to be delighted. Mm. Not so much impressed by Five Star, but that's delighted. Nice. <laughs> now, in terms of... Um, sorry, I just wanted to ask you... You, so it wasn't an organised tour and I think you do everything yourself. So how is it to, to go between places? So from Yogyakarta to Solo, how do you do that? Do you hire a driver or do you rely on public transport? I think it might be interesting mm. to, to know this little detail. Well, I did get to Yogyakarta via Denpasar Airport, mm, so yep. I just flew in. But it is possible to catch the ferry, um, but it takes a while to get around in Bali mm. to get to that point. Then within the within that mm. area, Central Java itself, uh, I used drive private drivers, yeah. which are relatively easy to find. Mm. You know, you can ask it at receptions or at desks at the airport, etc. What I would be very very keen to do in the future, though, is to travel by rail. So Java, having such a large population and being really very long and spread out, has a very very active rail. Uh, Round network. network. Mm. Yes, thank mm. you. And on top of that, there's lots of different elements, uh, or sort of, I suppose, levels to it. So they've introduced some quite luxury travel oh. options now. So you can, uh, you know, I think travel in maybe nine hours from sort of one side of the country to the, uh, of the island to the other in comfort, mm. sort of more like airline style seats that I think recline not the full 180, but I think it's 170 degrees. Oh, that's quite impressive. So it's quite <laughs> impressive. Yes. And, you know, mm. Indonesia's got, you know, it's a different currency. It's more of a developing nation. So it's not nearly as expensive as the rail journeys almost everywhere else in the world, which are often super expensive when you're going at a luxury level. Mm. So Going from so Darwin to Adelaide, which will ex- cost you a exactly, lot of money. Have you exactly. done that trip? I haven't. I want to do it, but it's too expensive. <laughs> it's that's really on, is that on the Garn? On the Garn, yeah. It's I think that my mother and father have done it because they, they think that they love that sort of thing. I think if you don't want to travel in a seat, it's yeah. really expensive. Mm, it and, is. Uh, it, it is. And, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure that... Slow travel, of course, has uh, resurfaced mm, as yes. a current travel trend. Mm, absolutely, uh, yeah. And if you can't afford to do it, you could just rent it on SBS and watch it on demand. <laughs> Well, my so, parents are actually just about to disembark from Perth now from the Indian Pacific, which oh, goes from Sydney yes. across. Mm. Wow. And because okay. they're more advanced age, 90 and 85, they didn't want to stay in the bunks on board. So, yes, yeah. it's yeah. super pricey when you have to, you know, yeah, choose yeah, the beds, but yeah. but worth it. Well, I think that it, it would be worth it and certainly when you get to a ripe old age, not only that, you probably deserve a bit of a lie That's down. right. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. You're listening to The Escape Hours with Fiona, Stefan and our guest Michelle Matthews who we've been travelling all across Java, Indonesia. So in terms of LGBTIQ uh, safety in, in Indonesia. Bali is very safe because of being Hindu. So uh, I think people need to be mindful that it's it's a Muslim um, Muslim island. Yes. Uh, we and hear about a lot of Aceh and, and um, so which is 
it's, I think they do stone yes, gay people. Yes, they do. A bit similar to so Sharia law. It's shocking that we even Bali. have to, to mention in, that on, yes, on the radio. So, but I think, and uh, it's something we cover a, a lot in, in things, being aware, being being aware of it when you go. So, you know, PDAs and things like this. It's not deterring people from going, but being very aware that it's, just familiarize yourself with the laws of the country like you would do for anything and if you're in a Muslim country modesty all this kind of things that we mm. we talk about a lot here mm. uh, and your personal and it's where your compass your personal safety compass as well where you want to I mean, I think B also M. to keep in mind is that um, public affection in between, yeah. between heterosexual couples is unusual in those environments as well. Absolutely. Um, so uh, travel travel with care, Yes. we would advise, uh, as we know. Now... We've got one more question for Michelle, I think. We have got yes. one more question. It's the escape hour question that we ask everyone. Da, 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 da. We need music for this yes, question, we do, don't we? Do. we? Uh, the question is... Do you roll, roll or do you fold? Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm a folder. She's a folder. We got a folder in We're the house. Folder. You're a folder, Fiona? I'm a roller folder. Oh, I'm a folder. I can't roll. <laughs> Unless it's hand luggage, which proved very handy when my flight was delayed by 26 hours last week. Oh, oh my God. I didn't want to hear about that. <laughs> 26 hours. That's yes. excruciating. Well, we love travel, but we sometimes do. travel just doesn't work. Doesn't it doesn't. And us. you have to be pragmatic about it. There's no way I could have gone. So, you know, you're held captive somewhere. There's no point getting annoyed because really it's not going to get you anywhere different. No, that's true. But um, either that, I mean, when none of us are Zen masters. So no, no, but... Um, it, it can be frustrating. It can be. Thank you for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.